lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Hope you had a great, safe weekend. Got out amidst those billowing clouds of coronavirus infested air and enjoyed the sunshine and the warmth. I am Steve Dace alongside Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. Gentlemen, good to see you. Good to see all of you as well. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. And if you're looking for samples of the show that you can share with others, go to youtube.com slash Steve Dace. That's youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And I would imagine there will be some samples of today's show that you're, is that a, is that like a mullet tail in the back? I need a haircut bad. There are going to be some samples of, don't, don't use that angle again. Just keep it straight on. So <laughs> yeah, no. that's okay. a mullet. Okay. I'm getting my hair cut today. Are you? At an underground place. All right, I gotta get the I gotta get the dope rhyme on that. Can you give yeah. me the four one one on that? Yeah, not on the air. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it. is this on? Should we start again? Contraband being exchanged. It's only one minute after the hour. It is desperate times in America, folks. I knew things were turning when I went in that neighborhood, my neighborhood this weekend, and that gentleman who last week was doing his yard work with a surgical mask by himself. By himself in his yard. That made my wife thankful we were done conceiving children because there wasn't going to be a conception happening anytime soon after witnessing that. Same gentleman out in his yard the exact same time on Saturday. This time, no mask. America is officially done. We're done here. All right. So let's get to it, shall we? There are going to be some clips from today's show you are going to want to share. We are jam-packed today. Dr. Scott Atlas, senior fellow at Stanford University, will rejoin the program for this week's weekly town hall, taking questions from us and you in the audience. That's going to be at the top of next hour, and then the three of us will compare notes based on what the good doctor had to share with us and the rest of America. Our good friend Bob Vanderplotz will be joining us here at the bottom of the hour as well because... I'm going to unveil to you here in about 15, about 10 minutes. I'm going to unveil to you. If I worked in the White House and the president came to me and said, hey, I'm not listening to Jared Kushner anymore, what would you have me say and do? I'm going to share with you what my answer would be. And they've now canceled several days. There, was no, there wasn't one on Saturday. There wasn't one yesterday. Um, and now there's not going to be one of these coronavirus task forces today. I thought uh, the advice Julie Kelly over at American Greatness gave, which was to cease doing these all together, unless you're going to come out and focus on reopening the country, make it about that. Otherwise, it's just a rehash in, in panic porn. And I, two weeks ago, I, I thought they were great and on point and moving the football down the field for us. And I thought the event that they held where they announced their plan I found it even inspiring. Last week wasn't almost any of those things. I, I don't know what that was last week, but it did not help the cause of returning America to the American people. This is a pivotal week, folks. The White House's 30-day guidelines are set to expire on Thursday. And it is quite possible much of what the rest of our year is like can be traced back eventually when we get to the end of 2020 mercifully it's possible that we may look back on this final week of april 
as the week that set several events we then lived through for the remainder of this year into motion. So we're going to try to set the agenda here coming up in just a few moments. You don't want to miss that either. But before we get to all of that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were locked down. What happened while we were locked down brought to you by the fallout continues. Petty tyranny still ran rampant over the weekend. This video shows one of at least three people getting arrested on a beach in Southern California for violating stay-at-home orders. Police in Laredo, Texas arrested two women for running a beauty salon inside their home. The women were caught after the police conducted an undercover sting operation after they received an anonymous tip to their COVID-19 task force enforcement motive. App. The following video surfaced over the weekend of a teacher at a high school in Hamilton, New Jersey, yelling at some of her students for playing football at the park. I'm just trying to save your ass and save your life. But die, okay? I hope both of you get the coronavirus. I hope you both die a long, painful death. The Mayo Clinic is the latest health system to announce massive furloughs. The hospital, with branches across the country, say they're furloughing or cutting pay to 30,000 of their employees. The Congressional Budget Office predicted on Friday a nearly 40% projected drop in quarterly gross domestic product thanks to the economic collapse brought about by the virus. Miami-Dade County in Florida is the latest to release the results of an antibody study. The study there showed 6% of that population population has already had the Wuhan coronavirus. That's over 15 times the active infections figure, and it makes the death rate there go to around 0.2%. Nancy Pelosi wants to release federal prisoners to protect them from the Rona. Well, in our, uh, in our caucus, uh, we are very devoted to the gospel of Matthew. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was homeless, you sheltered me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And so this for us is a part of our value system. In completely unrelated news, a study of 3,300 inmates who tested positive for the virus from Ohio, Virginia, Arkansas, and North Carolina found 96% of them were asymptomatic. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio has appointed his wife as the head of the Coronavirus Racial Inequality Task Force, because apparently that's a thing. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is, I'm appointing myself as the head of the Coronavirus Muslim Atheist Vegan Pansexual Lizard Person Inequality Quality Task Force. Virginia State Health Commissioner Norman Oliver said on Friday, phase one of the plan to reopen Virginia would likely last at least two years. Later in the weekend, he clarified that he was talking about development of a vaccine. Right. Meanwhile, protests are heating up across the country. This video shows thousands of Wisconsinites descending on their state's Capitol building in protest of their state's shutdown. Dr. Fauci, your thoughts? Who, which actor would you want to play you? Um, here are some suggestions that I've heard. Ben Stiller, Brad Pitt. Which one? Oh, Brad Pitt, of course. (laughs) The people that know me and know the history of our country say that I am the hardest working president in history. I don't know about that, but I am a hard worker and have probably gotten more done in the first three and a half years than any president in history. The fake news hates it. Moving on, a couple of other emerging stories from over the weekend. Tara Reid, Joe Biden's sexual assault accuser, says this video is footage of her mother calling Larry King in 1993 talking about her allegation. San Luis Obispo, California. Hello. Yes, hello. Um, I'm wondering what um, uh, 
a, a staffer uh, would to do besides go to the press in Washington. My daughter has just left there uh, after working for a prominent senator and could not get through with her problems at all. And the only thing she could have done was go to the press, and she chose not to do it out of respect for him. Or she had a story to tell, but out of respect for the person she worked for, she didn't tell it. That's true. CNN has removed that archive episode of Larry King Live from their YouTube account. That's legit. What's also legit is that North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un is simultaneously dead, alive and well, or in a vegetative state. More rumors circulated over the weekends after media in Japan and South Korea reported Kim was dead or on his deathbed. American officials have reportedly been informed that he is, in fact, alive. And finally, the panic peddlers in the media for the last six weeks. Yeah, I really don't understand why everybody isn't following the same rules right now. They're very clear. So let's take a minute and let's go over them again. First, you must not leave the house for any reason, unless, of course, you have a reason, and then you may leave the house. All stores are closed except those that are open. And all stores must close unless, of course, they need to stay open. This virus is deadly. But don't be afraid of it. It can only kill people who are vulnerable and also those who are not vulnerable. We should stay locked down until the virus stops infecting people. And it will only stop infecting people if enough of us get infected that we build immunity. So it is very important that we get infected and also do not get infected. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Brickhouse Nutrition. You know, with all the talk about coronavirus, uh, the flu season has kind of uh, gone by the wayside, yet it's killed thousands, tens of thousands itself this season. The season's not over yet, but another quarter of a million hospitalizations around the country as well. You know, one of the best ways to avoid getting sick is with a healthier immune system, which is why you should consider fortifying your body each day with Field of Greens from Brickhouse Nutrition. One scoop has a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables, which boosts energy and supports a healthy immune system at the exact same time. And doctors agree that a diet high in fruits and vegetables can also uh, go a long way towards redu- reducing your risk for some of the worst killers uh, in our culture, including heart disease, which is actually number one every year. So you need those prebiotics, probiotics, vitamins, minerals, fiber. You need all that stuff that's taken out of our food, put back in your diet. And that's where Field of Greens from Brickhouse Nutrition comes in. If you want to give it a shot, 15% off of your first order today. If you go to BrickhouseSteve.com, that's 15%. Off of your first order today at BrickHouseSteve.com or if you want to subscribe and have it shipped to your house every month, 10% off your subscription right now every month too. So a couple of different discounts there for you, but you got to go to BrickHouseSteve.com and then use the promo code Steve to take advantage of them. BrickHouseSteve.com. Well, I mentioned at the top of the show here before I got distracted by Aaron dangling the prospect of a contraband haircut in front of me. Um, this is a pivotal week, I believe. You know what? It, it has the potential to be a pivotal week. Let me not oversell it. It has the potential to be. You're used to disappointment by now, aren't you? <laughs> it, it has the, it's, it, this is the kind of week with the guidelines of 30 days set to expire. Warmer weather now pretty much here all across the country. It has, the, it has the potential, I think, to be the kind of week that when we get to the end of this year, and it's only about 240 days until Christmas, guys, when we get to the end of this year 
and, and try to pinpoint events. How, how'd we end up here at the end of 2020? How did this happen? I think this week has the potential to be one of those tipping points that set a lot of these wheels into motion. I was talking to a, a little birdie over the weekend who shared with me from a, a, a GOP mega donor, he knows what the Trump re-election campaign's messaging plan is here to pivot out of this and into um, rebuilding America, getting it started again and, and tying that into his election message for this fall. And I, I won't share any specifics of that because I don't think I'm supposed to, but I will tell you, I was actually impressed. It's, good, it, it's a good messaging plan, but it has no shot of being successful if the first step is not accomplished, which is as soon as absolutely possible. This country as a whole has to be open. And that step has to be taken first. That argument, that debate needs to be won first before you can start talking about a rebuild and it's morning in America again and those sorts of things. So after that conversation, I, I got to thinking this weekend. What would I say to the president if he asked me for my take? If, if I were working in the, in the White House and I were advising President Trump, based on all of the research I've done, all of the programs on this topic we've done, all of the questions we've asked, and I, I would put our work up against anybody in America on this topic over the last couple of months, what is it I would advise the president to say or do? I want to share that with you. If President Trump asked me what he should say or do this Friday, May 1st, after his current guidelines expire on April 30th, if I were his advisor, this is the plan or speech I would give him. More and more serology antibody tests continue to come in. Santa Clara, Los Angeles, New York City, Colorado, the Boston area, Italy, France, Sweden, Miami. Now we have the prison one that Aaron cited in his rundown. They all continue to show the same thing. Coronavirus is far more widespread than we knew, but much less lethal than we feared. How many more of these? How many more of these do we need to see before this stops? The answer is, this stops now. The latest numbers out of Italy, people under 65 with no underlying conditions are 0.7% of the deaths there. That's the world's worst hotspot other than China itself. Let's look at the worst hotspot here in the United States, New York City. Latest numbers out of New York City, people under 65 with no underlying conditions are only 1.8% of the deaths there. But let me give you a bigger number. We are looking at a 40% drop in GDP, which is straight out of the third world. I can't even wrap my mind around that. Not to mention all the other health concerns that have not been addressed and now are endangering people's lives the depression, the stress on families, the rising domestic violence rates, suicides, stress on our food supply, etc. This is madness. It is madness. It is utter madness. 
Therefore, this is the plan. Staggered reopening now. Now. Emphasis on now. As in 10 minutes ago. We are out of patience. Here is the proposal to go into effect May 1st. Those 55 and under with healthy immune systems return to real life immediately. Everything. Everything. Everything that is willing to open, return to it. 55 and under with healthy immune systems, which is going to be the vast majority of the country, and the vast majority of the country that is responsible for the wealth creation in this country and the work that's done in this country, back to real life. Thanks for your time. Thank you for your service. Back to being America. Thank you. We launch a national effort to encourage and administer antibody testing throughout the country, just as we did with the original coronavirus testing. We focus our SARS-2 coronavirus testing and social distancing measures from this time forward on those with weakened immune systems and over the age of 55 before sending them back to reality. And they may need to be tested several times the more they're exposed to the rest of the public just to make sure that they are not infected. But if you're not, return to America, you too. Keep those 65 and older socially distanced for 42 more days. This is way overcautious, in my opinion. I don't think even this is required. But <laughs> this is my attempt to err on the side of caution. Why 42 more days? Because you allow for the, the other demos to, that are not as uh, vulnerable. You allow them to get reintegrated. And therefore, you allow for any further infection surge possibilities to make their way through not one, not two, but three incubation cycles of the virus. 14 days times three is 42 days. That's overkill, in my opinion, as we saw with the Wisconsin data that we showed you last week. And thank you to Fox News for um, emulating our work. You like that word? We'll go with that word. Emulating. Uh, imitation is the highest form of flattery after all. Uh, but that's overkill. I don't think that's necessary. But to err on the side of caution, we will put the elderly through three different 14-day concurrently incubation cycles of the virus while society is reintegrated just to make sure we don't rush them back to more infection vulnerability. However, there is little chance of outdoor uh, exposure and transmission particularly with the sun and the warmth now here, see flat Florida and California going nowhere near the apocalyptic models projections. Therefore, um, if you are in that elderly group, several studies have also shown from several countries that have confirmed the odds of indoor transmission are dramatically higher. It's not even close. There's basically zero odds of outdoor transmission, especially just passing someone on a sidewalk. You are permitted to get out of your homes, walk your neighborhoods, enjoy the sun and the warmth. We're just going to keep you out of indoor gatherings for 42 more days just to make sure. This way, by July 1st, at the absolute latest. And that is the start of the new fiscal year for many. America is back to being America again. It is time we return America to the American people. It is time to return America 
to the American people. And then, Mr. President, take no questions from the douche-tastic, childish enemy media. Walk off. Nothing more needs to be said. Gentlemen, your thoughts on that plan. You know, I... It all kind of caught up with me this weekend. I, I I was just just angry, and there's evidence coming out. Uh, Aaron shared some nationally, but locally here about uh, jobs lost. I don't know how I you know I guess I've just kind of been numb, compartmentalized. But you know I I was not like for a couple hours. I was just not easy to be around, so I wasn't. Around. I kind of went off and did my own thing because it, it this. You you said it. It is utter madness, and you can still see the the what we are going to go forward with. As I told you before about elections, how twenty sixteen was uh, somehow twenty seventeen was going to be worse, and it's keep going on like that. You we're never going to be the same in the near term again. The level that people have been pushed to extremes, psychological extremes. And I'm just not talking about the, you know, the suicide and the, the depression, but the Karening it's, it's become a meme. It's become a joke, but it's going to be dialed up to 11 on every level. You, you thought people are insufferable before this, that which is making Steve's argument enough. Like his whole president, you you cannot appease a certain set of people, so you don't even try. You go forward what you believe is right and good and true, and you are unapologetic about it, and you trust the American people. If we still are the people we need to be to deserve this republic, we will get on board. Well, that's never more important than it is right now. We are in the middle of a civil war. We absolutely need to take this country back before it's too late. Yeah, and I, I think this is as reasonable as any measure. Unfortunately, reasonable measures don't even seem to be on the table for a lot for a lot of places. Now you're starting to see some some places reopen. Uh, have we heard anything about Colorado in the news media? They've got a really progressive governor over there. Surely, surely their lockdown is the most severe and the most draconian and the longest. Nope, they're they're getting they're getting opened. They're opening back up again. Colorado. Um, Because what's happening here, I think, ceased being about the virus long ago. No doubt about that. At least two or three weeks ago. Ceased being anything about the virus. And I think you're being kind with that assessment. Yes. It it ceased being about... It is about power. It's about power. Somebody, I I can't remember the name, was talking about this on, uh, on Twitter earlier this morning. This is a phenomenon called elite panic. Elite panic. Where the elites, the rulers, they're not supposed to be our rulers, they're supposed to be our employees, but that's a conversation for another day that we've had many times on the show. But the rulers get panicked themselves. After they, after they see something that might actually be a legitimate problem, they get panicked into believing that, that those who they rule over are going to start breaking laws that they have created. And so they start enforcing those laws. And even It's just the snowball effect. And that's what we've seen, whether it's from uh, covering your ass measures or just from straight up, I'm drunk on power right now. That's what we're seeing most of all in most places. Do you really think Ralph Northam really wants to give up this power that he's had? 
governor of Virginia. Do you really want to, do you really think that some of these people just are going to relinquish this? No, they're not. This is not about the virus any longer. It's, it's not about that anymore. When Anthony Fauci, and I'll, I'll say this, Anthony Fauci is out there being asked by the Today Show which actor he would prefer to have portray him in a movie. Guys, this, it, this is about the idol of fear, the idol of power, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. It's not about the virus anymore. That teacher in the, yelling at the kids, I hope you get coronavirus, I hope you die. She, she didn't suddenly become this because of coronavirus she was that Agreed. before the but Agreed. now that level of brazenness that's my point it's we're These not sorts just of circumstances relax. don't build character they reveal exactly it. so we're not just going to relax and chill after this either it's going to be really bad you're going to be surprised at the level of social interactions one by one by one are going to have to be retested and remeasured because you're not certain who is going to react to your common sense in this like that. You remember the, a few years ago when the gay marriage debate was at its at its culmination at the Supreme Court. And and I made the observation that what you're seeing right now with friends and neighbors that you would have never dreamed would glom onto this correct and sign on to this correct okay and not even just like in a libertarian dude i'm certainly the last person to be lecturing somebody about uh sexual uh integrity and it's not my not my place not that not even that they went full love is love no right? i mean like full-on endorsees like changing avatars on their facebook pages yep. and you know uh, buying rainbow you know uh, you know effects at walmart and stuff they just wanted in on the cause right the idolatry of the cause right and that those are the people that when they come to your house and 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 say why aren't you teaching your kids the new morality they will be the ones who will be out there on the sidewalk tis tisking and and they'll say it's 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 terrible that it came to this right remember these conversations sure. we had it's just awful that it came to this but ultimately it's for your own good what you're seeing is is is, is that phenomenon with the incalculable level of multiplier is what is what this is okay you have been put on notice that there's a sizable chunk. I don't think it's a majority. And I'm usually Mr. Pessimism when it comes to the data. I don't think it's a majority. If it was a majority, somebody like Donald Trump with his message, but then also his baggage. All right. I mean, so he used some of the most in, even messaging at times I thought was like, I don't know that we can say that stuff. OK. I mean, even I was like, eh, dial it back. All right. The, me the incendiary messaging on top of his personal baggage. If this was a majority of the American people, somebody like that could, couldn't win the nomination of a major party, let alone obtain the White House. It is not the sentiment of the majority of the American people. Majority of the American people just largely stay silent about it because they don't want to be shamed by this group of people on their Facebook pages and in their neighborhoods. But this segment of our society is out of control. It's cancel culture incarnate. It's this notion that we know better than you. Not because we have, we have attached ourselves to some eternal, transcendent, cosmic truth that, that we think is better for society to abide by, right? This isn't Christians versus Muslims and, and Jews versus Hindus on which great, grand religious truth is the best way to govern a people. No, they believe they 
They believe they are that truth. They believe they are. They believe they're the transcendent truth. And the places they go from they go for information, which is really their confirmation, they believe that's infallible. And you're watching them now run amok. Because this plays, this checks every one of their boxes. Every one of their premises. You are going to have to push back on this. And maybe in ways short of outright rebellion. Somebody asked me today, hey, when do we get to that part? I'm going to read the Declaration of Independence. Go by what it says. But short of outright rebellion, you're probably going to have to push back on, on this in ways you never anticipated. Like, like, you cannot permit this in any conversation, any exchange, personal, social media. You can't permit this. You can't just say, I don't want to get into it. You must crush it. Crush it. Because you know what will happen if you don't? It will crush you. More in a moment. You know, when life is in chaos, as it is right now, your home is your safe haven, your most important asset. But do you really own it? Don't be so sure. Uh, imagine getting evicted for non-payment of a loan on your home that you never even took out. It happened to Deborah, and it's happening everywhere. It's called home title theft, and the FBI says it's one of the fastest growing crimes in the country. It's why I urge you to get home title lock. Your home's legal title is kept online. And thieves know that. So they'll forge your signature on your home's title, and that's it. They can legally own it, and they'll take loans out on it as well. And your bank doesn't protect you, neither does your insurance. The only way that I know of to avoid this nightmare and possible eviction is with Home Title Lock. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. Register your address right now to make sure your home's title is in the free and clear. And then while you're there, use the promo code Steve to get 30 free days of protection to help you get through this crisis. 30 free days of protection for your home, your most important asset and investment at HomeTitleLock.com. Promo code Steve. That's HomeTitleLock.com. No, it is not David Letterman. That is our good friend, Bob Vanderplatz, joining us here from uh, the family leader from his home. And I, I was about to let the dude code out of its cage because you were supposed to be sitting here next to us today. Boom, right there. All right. But one of your, one of your sons is going back to his home, back to work, yes, back to real life. So you're saying goodbye to him. The dude code will permit that. Okay. But next week, I will be there. I'll be right next All to right. you. Okay, good. All right. So, we, I just went through a rundown. If I worked in the White House, and by the way, I think it is wise to stop holding these briefings until you are, until you are ready to pivot full-time into reopening the country and inspiring that. Just, just playing grab ass with the media, douche-tastic antics doesn't help them or you, but they're not on the ballot. You are. 
Okay, so I, I don't see how that helps anybody looking for adulting. So they haven't had one the past couple of days. They're not going to have one today. I'm all for that. To me, the next time they speak, they ought to say something like what I just ran down. So if the president called me and said, hey, I'm going to stop listening to Jared Kushner and I want your plan, Steve, what would it be? That is the plan that I would urge him to give to the American people and present it like that. I now want to get your thoughts on it, Mr. Vanderplatz. I think the American people are ready for it. I was just telling Darla, uh, I went, I stopped in the office looking like this, doing things I normally don't do. I usually shave. I'm usually pretty buttoned up, but I'm kind of sick of this as well. But driving back, went by a flower shop, and that parking lot was overflowing with cars and with people. Uh, went by an ice cream shop yesterday, a line all the way back up to the street, no social distancing whatsoever. I think people are just kind of like, you know what, that's all I can stand. I can stand no more. I want to get back after it. So I really do believe the president would make a lot of sense, Steve. I, I read what you wrote about saying, listen, if you're if you're fragile, if you're above this age category, if you're elderly, if you're disabled, like our son Lucas is, let's take precautions. Let's keep them safe. But if you're healthy without any underlying health conditions, we need to reopen the economy. It's time to get back to work. It's time to let uh, this virus spread and reach herd immunity. And hopefully let's kill this thing off. But there's a lot worse things right now. The ripple effect could be than from us just staying isolated in, in our homes the rest of this time. So I think he makes a lot of good sense by not having a press briefing today and maybe not tomorrow. But I think you're right when he does go back out in front of the American public. He needs to be the leader in charge and saying, listen, I've accepted all the input. I think I, I did what I used wisdom and implemented and, and had some discernment with it. But now I'm going to use more wisdom and discernment. We're going to reopen America for business. I said before you came on as well, Bob, I, I think this week with the guidelines set to expire on Thursday, uh, I think this week has the potential that when we're sitting here, you know, around 240 days from now when it's Christmas at the end of the year and we're kind of we're kind of in year in review mode and we're like, hey, you know, how did the the the. How did we get here? Phase two of coronavirus, post-coronavirus, the rebuild, what happened or didn't, et cetera, the election, et cetera. I think this week has the potential to be one of those moments that, that 200 some odd days from now, we will look back on and say, that is the week that really you can see kind of put started putting things into motion one way or the other, because we're getting to the point now, more and more people are realizing this was the worst management mistake in the history of the of this country uh from from the white house down to the governors to everybody else and and you want to give everybody maximum benefit of the doubt you know you were you were more sympathetic to their plight than i was at the beginning but certainly after at least after 30 days of all the data and everything we have now every day that this goes on it looks like iraq and vietnam added together and multiplied by, you know, 50. And maybe the worst management mistake in the history of human government, period. All right, when it's all said and done. So whoever whoever takes the lead on swallowing their pride here and saying, okay, um, our bad and uh, and uh, unpause hit the un hit that pause button and uh, get hit play back on the video and get it going again. Whoever does that first, I think in about 200 some odd days, it's gonna, we're going to look back on and realize they reap the benefit of it. And I think this is an important week for the White House to be out in front of that. But what are your thoughts? 
Well, I think you're right. And I, I would add something else, Steve, is that uh, we always say don't don't get out in front of your own press, meaning don't trump your own press, no, no pun intended. But right now he's got governors like here in the state of Iowa. Governor Reynolds is going to be hold, or she's holding a press conference right now talking about how we're going to reopen Iowa for business. You have other governors taking the lead, how they're reopening their states for business. Trump has got to show bona fide leadership right now that if you want to restart this economy, I built a great economy once, I'll do it again. But that's got to start here this week. If he if he puts and says, okay, we're going to, we're going to extend this now to June 1 or whatever the, the new date might be, uh, I think you're going to say, listen, uh, or America might be saying, listen, uh, Joe Biden or whoever his replacement at the convention is, is going to be way better at managing socialism uh, than Donald Trump is. Because that's what we're set up for, the stimulus package of just giving out free money to businesses, free money to Americans and saying, okay, we can we can More all- money on unemployment than you would have made at your job. Right. Sure. And we all can live as good, if not better, than, than actually working. I think what he needs to do, he needs to show he's the leader. Uh, he's he's going to be the guy that's going to make America great again, again. And I think you're right. Uh, the next time he has a press conference, he has, to, he has to put that stake in the ground. And I think if he shows a common sense- wise approach with sympathy toward those who are fragile and those who could really be hurt by this. Uh, you know, he, he can thread that needle, but he's got to do it, I believe, this week. I know you know the vice president fairly well. Um, he gave a radio interview uh, right before the weekend saying that, and it's his task force, technically. I mean, everybody knows that Fauci and to a lesser degree, Debbie Burks call all the shots, but the vice president is technically the head of the of the task force. Um, but uh, he, he gave an interview, I think it was to Geraldo Rivera, but I think he said this to Rush Limbaugh too. So I think he said this in a couple of different uh, settings that by Memorial Day, th- that the vast majority of, of coronavirus is going to be behind us. What do you think that means? That means you're going to reopen America for business. You got to get people back out to work. Uh, you know we're going to have our leadership summit on July 17. Secretary Pompeo is going to be the keynote speaker, along with many others. But uh, I was just in conversation with Secretary Pompeo's office about July 17, and they said, hey, all systems go. I think people want to get back together. I think they understand how much they miss community, how much community is important to them. And I just think it, it's time to it's time to pop the clutch and get going. So the vice president is saying, hey, by, by Memorial Day, this stuff's going to be behind us and we're going to have a, that means the next press conference you better start talking about how we're going to open this thing back up so you mentioned our governor i got an email from a listener uh and a viewer uh in georgia who was having breakfast at a denny's this morning and wanted me to watch get a good look at his grand slam breakfast and it it, it i've i've rarely had the 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 notion of red rum uh <laughs> <laughs> what I wanted to do to somebody uh, for, for teasing me like that. But um, she's talking right now in real time. So we don't know what she's saying. I mean, I'll, you and I will find out together. You, uh, you're, I have some information you, you, for both of you. Uh, just released in the last two minutes. Uh, Iowa Governor Kim, Re- Kim Reynolds announces 77 of 99 counties can reopen restaurants, fitness centers, retail stores, and enclosed malls at 50% capacity beginning May 1, which is what, Thursday or Friday? Friday, yeah. Uh, she's lifting the ban on religious gatherings of more than 10 people. Other closures, whatever they are, I don't extend through May 15. That's a pretty aggressive plan, Bob. Well, sure. And From, just not, not looking at the specifics, just based on the top line Todd's giving me, that's Steve Dace approved. Well, it is. And here's the other thing your viewers need to know, Steve, who don't live in Iowa. 
Iowa right now is is really adding the most numbers it has at any time. I mean, we're kind of going through our peak right now. Mm-hmm. And she's saying we're opening things back up. That is an aggressive plan. She wants to open the state back up for business. And I think Donald Trump would it's a mistake to allow Kim Reynolds and Governor Kemp and the other governors to outpace him on this. I think he needs to show leadership from Washington and have the governors follow his lead. So he took that lead two weeks ago. I thought their messaging a couple weeks ago. I thought the I thought the task force meeting they had the night that they laid out their uh, their opening up plan. I I mean I thought it was just downright inspiring, and I said so at the time. Last week was kind of all to be sustained. La, yeah, exactly. Last week was just kind of all over the place, and he spent two days going after Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia. Now I think a lot of that is a is personal because of they're they're in this uh, squawk over the uh, you know, he didn't appoint the person to the Senate seat, the governor that that the president. Wanted. Do you think I'm making too much out of that? Or do you think that's probably what's driving a lot of, because I will tell you this, I don't know how many Trump voters are in this audience. I would imagine quite a few. And all of them I heard from wanted Donald Trump to sound more like Brian Kemp last week. And instead of standing like he was kind of standing in the, or sounding like he was standing in the way. And the last time I looked at Georgia, that's not a that's not a for sure slam dunk red state for Donald Trump. And there's a lot of Georgians who are very thrilled with the leadership of Governor Kemp. So I don't think he wins at any level by going after Governor Kemp unless he's being forced. What I heard by Dr. Burks uh, basically representing uh, the others on the task force is saying you got to get to him and he has to denounce Governor Kemp and his actions. And it looks like he took that lead. I think that's a mistake. I think he needs to show leadership, let the governors follow him. Let's open this back up. I think what Governor Reynolds is forecasting, though, even by saying the rest, there's going to be more updates or more openings on May 15. We have a primary in June, the first Tuesday in June, which I believe is June 2nd. Uh, What is going to happen to the polling locations? There's a lot of people pushing vote by mail right now. And I think uh, she's trying to get this thing opened up as well so that there can be polling locations open for the June 2nd primary. Good stuff, brother. All right, man. All right, next week, I better be smelling you next to me next week. All right. I'm shaving on my suit on just right. for you. I'll probably still be in a t shirt, but you do the other stuff. Okay. See you, fellow, Pat. All right. See you, bro. Take care. Gentlemen, your thoughts on that conversation? Well, it's accented by the news we got in real time. I'm excited. Uh, Bob's right to point out that you know, Iowa right now is one of the hot spots, yet. I think there's th- let's clarify that it is exactly that's fewer why than they, 300 Iowans are hospitalized. That's why the air quotes. Right it's yeah. an absurd, you know, they like we're the next New York. That's the and way they want you to are make- really a couple of nursing homes right. and like three meatpacking plants. That's essentially the hotspot. Yeah. But the fact that we are, there's still that emotional energy hovering around. I think it speaks to the fact that there are eyes to see and ears to hear at our state capitol right now about the, the nature of this whole thing all the way through, how it was bunk in many respects, and how whether we are now the new hotspot or not, the hell with it. We're not falling for this nonsense anymore. And then Aaron, I mean, we're having all these articles now and comments about the food supply. So, you know, I don't care, Karen, where you live, you want Iowa to be one of the most aggressive reopening states in the country. 
Why? Because you're going to want some food, I would imagine. You know where a good portion of that food comes from? If you like your bacon, if you like your brats, if you like your pork chops that you grill out all summer long, then you better hope All those soybean-based foods and everything Mm -hmm. else. Exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately, our counties are not one of the counties that they're opening back up immediately or on Friday. That's That kind of sucks, but... Um, so we're going to have to, uh, for another two weeks, not, uh, not go to church. So that's, that's cool. But, um, yeah, I, I, this, the aggressive is the key word here. You have to be, you have to be aggressive because the real, as I, as I said in the last segment as well, this ceased being about the virus long ago. This is about a different type of virus. This is the progressive virus is spreading. Then the virus of fear, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But it really is progressivism or scientism at its very. That's the real virus that needs to be mitigated that you uh, that, that you really need to work on vanquishing right now. And it takes an aggressive measure to do that. So that's the key word. Aggressive. Uh, don't get bogged down. Don't get bogged down by these uh, stupid. Uh, stupid interactions with the media and trying to talk about on your Twitter account all weekend how you're the hardest working press. No, just focus on reopening and getting America back to America again. That has to be the main priority. Anything other than that, anything, any effort, any, any breath that you breathe that is not working towards that is a waste. You know, people are different in terms of the way that they act process things. Um, and if you're dealing with someone who operates with a high degree um, of personal conviction, then, you know, and you're trying to motivate them, you motivate them a certain way. Sure. If you're dealing with somebody who is more um, pragmatic or utilitarian or malleable, you motivate them in a certain way too, right? Right. Would you think President Trump's probably more the latter than the former? Yeah. Yeah. Without, I think that's probably obvious, if not self-evident. So the bad news with President Trump, as we've talked about before, is I think he can be heavily influenced by the last person whose opinion he respects he just spoke to. And the good news about President Trump is he can be heavily influenced by the last person whose opinion he respects that he just spoke to. And... What I believe is going on, and I would call this now an educated guess, educated, I'm going to emphasize that. What I believe is going on is there's essentially the entire White House, other than about five or six people, but those all urging the president to be more aggressive, but those five or six people all happen to be people that hold, uh, that the president holds in high regard. The doctors, um, Mr. Kushner, et cetera. We need to be the tiebreaker here. And I, we, we, we need him to know that we'll have his back if he's bold. I think we need to be the tiebreaker here. We need to be the most influential voice that he hears. We'll come back. Dr. Scott Atlas from Stanford University. We're going to try to get answers to questions we've been asking on this show for a couple of months now. I cannot wait. He's going to join us for a town hall Q&A next right here on The Blaze. Stay tuned. And we're back. 
with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. If you like listening to the Steve Dace Show via the podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star review. If you like us, if you don't like us, we wouldn't ask you to lie, but we would ask you to keep that information to yourself. We're very sensitive around here. If you do like this show and you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, the more of those we get, the more those benevolent algorithms that run our lives, the more Skynet shines favorably upon me. So please keep those coming. And thank you to the thousands of you that have left us five-star reviews already. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, and don't forget youtube.com slash Steve Dace. It is now time for our weekly town hall here on a Monday And we have a very special guest who will be taking our questions this week. We met him just a few days ago, and he was gracious enough to return. Dr. Scott Atlas, MD, Senior Fellow at Stanford University. And uh, Scott, it is a pleasure to have you back with us, uh, my friend. How are you? Great. Doing great. So we are loaded for bear with questions for you. I mean, I, I have been sitting here for the last two months just begging for some of these questions to get asked in these White House Coronavirus Task Force meetings, and they never did. So hopefully you can provide us some of the answers. We have a combination of questions from the team here on the show, as well as the audience, Scott. And so, Dr. Atlas, I want to begin in the most self-serving way possible with a question from yours truly. As a result of the voluminous research I've done on the virus the past two months, I've offered our audience a counter theory for several weeks now I'd like to get your take on. And I did ask some of your peers at Stanford University on a call with them a couple of weeks ago about this when they came out with their antibody study, but they told me it was a little bit too early. So now I'm going to ask you, okay? And that comes down to this, that the, the, is it possible, especially in light of the early February documented death we now have in Santa Clara County, as well as the antibody studies across the country, that the virus was actually here most of the flu pneumonia season. However, we had no means to test for it in mass until March, nor was there any public awareness of it throughout the winter. Therefore, it was just charted as some kind of acute RSV pneumonia given the similarity in symptoms earlier this year. And as a follow-up to that, Dr. Atlas, as for what just occurred in New York City, they lead the country by foreign Chinese travel. They've taken in over 40,000 Chinese travelers even after the restrictions of January 31st, according to the New York Times. So could that explain their outlier as well as the population density, mass transit, etc.? Okay. So, uh, first of all, I don't know the answer and will not really uh, speculate on things about when uh, the virus entered the United States. I don't think anyone knows that. And uh, there's all kinds of theories. So, I prefer to stick to evidence and data and, uh, you know, dinner table sort of guessing I I try to avoid in public, Mm -hmm. uh, if that's okay. So I will answer really, though, uh, about New York, because I think that's more important to understand, because what's important now is not so much what happened, but how to proceed. And what uh, how to proceed is particularly relevant in New York, because New York is the epicenter indeed of the world, not just the United States. If New York was considered a country, it would rank by far number one in deaths per capita. So I think it's very important to figure out what's going on in New York and how to get out of that rather urgently. 
And when we look at New York, as you sort of alluded to in your question, New York is very different. Excuse me for the noise in the background. That's but, okay. Uh, I'm sort of being inundated with things. Um, New York is not just sort of a dense place. It, it's and, and there are theories about different virus strains, and et cetera. And I'm not going to talk about theories so much. I'm just going to talk about what we know. And what we know is that New York, uh, in, like you said, accepts, is the number one port of entry, actually, for tourists in the United States from virtually everywhere, but particularly China and Europe, by the way. And we see from looking at the data that 350,000 people with Chinese passports enter the United States every month, including January 2020. And the number one port of entry is New York. Secondly, we know that New York population density is unique, nothing like the rest of the United States. And that population density multiplies by a factor of two or three every single day by incoming workers and tourists. And third, there are over 1.6 million incoming commuters into Manhattan alone every single day. More than 50% of those come in on packed trains and subways. So it's a setup for contagious diseases. And 320,000 people every day from New Jersey alone commute into New York. So uh, there are some rather common sense explanations for why the New York, not just city, but the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, is the epicenter. In fact, those three states have a roughly 60% of all the deaths from COVID-19 in the United States. So, you know, uh, you don't have to be a mathematician, a medical person, a scientist to understand why New York is very, very different. Quick follow-up to the first part of that question that is based on a specific case, okay? Um, the death in, in, in Santa Clara County on February 6th, based on what you know about the pathology of the virus, do we have an idea of how long someone would have to be infected or would you have to, to know how long they were infected to die on February 6th or would you have to examine that patient specifically to get that answer? You know, I don't know the patient uh, medical details directly that, uh, of whom you speak. Generally, in general, uh, the, the accepted sort of uh, pathophysiology or pathway of this disease is that it, you get infected within days of encountering the disease, single digit days, two to five days roughly. Uh, and generally, in general, uh, it takes weeks to die. Now, that doesn't mean that every patient needs weeks to die. Mm -hmm. Every patient has a different susceptibility. Every patient, in, in the, any individual patient, has very different uh, current, like, underlying health status. And I, I just think that it's it's very speculative to talk about when, when this virus entered. I don't know the answer. I don't know if anyone knows the answer. Okay. And uh, it, it's just not... It's not something I'm, I'm really knowledgeable about. Okay. Next question. This is from Michael Rudder. Vice President Pence said recently he suspects most of this will be behind us by Memorial Day, which is a month from now. Do you agree with that? What does, quote, behind us mean? 
Are we mostly back to normal, watching sporting events, going to the movies? What about a second wave once we come back together again? And by quarantining the healthy people, did we increase the odds of a second wave? Okay, so those are two sort of separate questions. The first prediction, will it be, quote, behind us uh, in one month? You know, I, I don't know what behind us really means either. A lot of this uh, has to do with what policies are are used by people in, in charge. Uh, and the second part of that is no matter what guidelines are issued, it depends how Americans react. There's a tremendous amount of fear, and I think understandably so, uh, in the community. So... Will it be behind us? I'm not sure what that means. Will will everything be immediately back to normal in a month? I I, I don't think anyone really thinks that. Uh, but what I what I think is that we are seeing a gradual re-entry. We're seeing it in Europe, which is actually good uh, uh, because we we get to see that we're not the only ones contemplating this. We're going to watch and see what happens there. And there are rational reasons to reopen. In fact, most of the evidence, in my opinion, means we must reopen because of all the things I said. We have a limited, very small, much smaller risk of dying for most people than was originally said. There's a target population that if protected uh, with reasonable guidelines and measures, particularly nursing home patients, but others as well, we can e eliminate this idea of hospital overcrowding or at least significantly reduce that concern. We know that critical medica medical care is being skipped by, by people all over the world. And we're not talking about, when they say non-essential surgery, we're not talking about cosmetic surgery here. When they stop non-essential surgery and procedures, we're talking about life and death procedures. Half of, almost half probably of chemotherapy was skipped. 80% of brain surgery was not done. Uh, I said last night, 85% uh, of living organ donor transplant procedures were not done compared wow. to the exact same at time as last year. Uh, these diseases didn't go away. 40, 50% of acute stroke patients who normally have three to six hours to get emergency treatment by catheter procedures they didn't make it to the hospital. These are people that either died or are left with a risk of permanent disability. There's a tremendous amount of skipping of vaccines for children, uh, you know, of biopsies of potential cancers. All kinds of things are missed. These are people that are going to die, and we are setting up a, a, a bigger health care problem if we keep extending this total lockdown. Now, the second part of the question is very important to understand. And it is, in my opinion, definitely true that if we isolate whole populations from each other, we are blocking the development of population immunity. Because the way population immunity works, to say this you know, for over and over again, but I think it's important, fundamental science, decades of virology and immunology have shown that the way populations get immunity and actually the underlying reason to give immunization vaccines is to have whole populations, enough of a whole population, to have antibodies so that the pathways to the vulnerable people are eliminated and the threat is eradicated. It's fantastic in this case that this virus does not 
cause significant disease in the overwhelming majority of people. In fact, half of people are asymptomatic. Now that's good because we, we don't, while we don't know, I want to clarify something, while we do not know that antibodies protect in this specific disease, we don't just throw out all of our knowledge about antibodies because we don't know everything about this disease. In fact, we have decades of knowledge about antibody protection in viruses. We have decades of knowledge, by the way, about this family of viruses. This is a virus in the family of what's called coronaviruses. And it's been known for decades that generally speaking, coronaviruses, people are infected, then develop antibodies, and they're protected for a year or so. This is not necessarily true for this virus. We don't know, but it's unexpected if there's no uh, protection from antibodies in this virus. And uh, one last point, I'm sorry to be long-winded. That's okay. But the, the final point on antibodies is this is the reason for excitement about giving people serum transfusions of part of their blood uh, who have had the virus and have antibodies to other patients as a treatment or as a protective measure. That's Scientists are excited about using that sort of treatment, and it's being studied, by the way, as we speak, that kind of transfusion of the serum of previously infected people because they believe that antibodies are protective. And when you lock up people, if you put everybody in, a, in an isolation room, everybody on the earth in sterile conditions and had them breathing closed air like a scuba diver, no one would ever get an infection again. But you're eliminating population immunity. And of course, no one would do something like that because there's a massive trade-off and you're causing a massive harm by doing that. Next question comes from uh, our very own Todd Erzin. Given the fact it was still taking in tourists for spring break and the like, well after many other states were shutting down, and has per capita the second largest elderly population in America, how come Florida never became the smoldering ash all the models threatened? Okay, now uh, I haven't, I don't want to comment too much predictive, uh, predictively about Florida. I don't know exactly what's happened in the uh, sequela of opening or having a lot of young people on beaches. But I will say this, that young people do not, uh, the, there is a very small risk of having a serious illness and an almost zero risk of dying from COVID-19 for young, healthy people. We know from looking at the numbers, and we're just going to look at New York City as an example. We know that the percent of people who are hospitalized in New York City under 18 is, of all the hospitalized patients, is 0.6%, the last I looked. Okay, when we look at the people who have died who are under 18, there's a almost zero risk of dying, almost zero. Now, I'm not saying no one dies who's young. What I'm saying is, in a general data analysis point of view, the risk is almost zero. And so, in my view, given that, given that 50% of people have no symptoms whatsoever, 
no matter what your age, roughly, although there, there's a little bit of, uh, it's difficult to tweeze out the age factor there. Given there's very mild disease with no significant risk of a serious illness in young people, it makes sense to me that uh, the young people who mingle do not have a serious illness. Uh, in fact, it makes sense to not have to isolate them and not have six feet between them. They're not at risk to get a serious illness. Now, the, the secondary risk that people are worried about is that they will then transmit a virus to a vulnerable person. And of course, that, that is a risk. Uh, but what we have to do is the people who are very vulnerable, particularly to die, and one example that comes to mind is nursing uh, home or senior care center residents. There must be, we have a moral obligation to have severe restrictions on who can have contact with them. Okay, so uh, that means, and they're a confined population. If you think about it, there's already restrictions on who can walk into a nursing home. I mean, that, that shouldn't be as big a challenge as people think, uh, in my view. And if it is a challenge, which I'm not minimizing, really, I don't mean to minimize it, I think we have to focus on protecting those very vulnerable people. People that are young that live with older parents or grandparents, okay, there has to be significant care on making sure that we have those people protected. And that means being very, very concerned with, you know, cleaning, with sanitization, uh, with social distancing, uh, particularly I'm talking about for the elderly, vulnerable people, people with chronic underlying conditions, but otherwise healthy young people, there's no reason, in my view, that they can that they should be isolated from each other. And I'll go further and say that it's harmful to isolate them vis-a-vis -vis what I was talking about developing whole population immunity. They are the way that uh, immune populations will develop by having these people socialize enough with other lower risk group people to have widespread population immunity and get out of this. Dave Drake has the next question. He lives in Wisconsin and he says, uh, hey, we recently held an election many were afraid would dramatically worsen the virus. Yet, um, as Steve Show pointed out recently, more than 460,000 people came out and voted in person that day. However, during the virus's 14-day incubation period afterwards, the most densely populated counties in the state didn't see a dangerous rise in hospitalizations or even new cases beyond their current trend lines, which were already trending down. What does that say about the continued necessity of shelter in place? Well, it, 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 it in and of itself... Uh, if it's true, I didn't look at this data, uh, it backs up the points I'm making. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to extrapolate from a tiny uh, group, and I also, I, I'm, I'm very careful not to extrapolate from data that somebody else gives me, mm -hmm. as, as you can imagine. Uh, so, uh, but, but it, it is true, as I'm trying to point out, that extreme isolation Again, I'm not criticizing what was done. What I'm talking about is what should be done now. Mm -hmm. We have tremendous harms from continuing extreme isolation. In fact, it's counterproductive in ways of, as I've mentioned, to develop population immunity. And I think it, you know, it 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 does. 
really uh, go against continuing isolation for whole population would go against the evidence that we have, medical science knowledge, and common sense. Mendy Wax wants to know, what, what do we actually know, Dr. Atlas, about the way the virus is transmitted? Is it six feet? Is it 20 plus feet? Is transmission outdoors an actual thing? Or is it most, of, if not all, indoors? What about warmer weather, humidity, sunshine, etc.? Okay, those are all good questions, and many of those questions don't have definite answers, but I'll, I'll do my best. What, what, we, what we know, or what seems to be true, is that the virus is typically transmitted over inches to several feet, or direct contact uh, like that, and that is why hand-washing is the number one way to get rid of uh, get rid of the virus? By the way, or hand sanitization is is actually a second way. Uh, we do not. There is no evidence, to my knowledge, that this virus is has a high transmission rate. You know, 20, 30, 50 feet away. Uh, we don't think that, and I don't think uh, that would be mainstream thought. You know, I, I think that we can say that typical infectious particles, whether they're viruses or anything else, when you go outside, the wind and air not only blows away, disseminates things that are in the air, but it, it sort of in, in a, it effectively dilutes them. Uh, so it, it, I think the question is trying to ask me, do I think that somebody... Uh, can go outside and not wear a mask as long as they're not on top of somebody else. I, I think yes. I, that's my my assessment of the situation. I, I don't uh, think there's a lot of logic to people wearing a mask when they're 50 feet away from people. That's my my opinion. Uh, you know, and I think on the other hand, barrier masks uh, have have a role here. Uh, at least a potential role. For instance, if you're in a crowded subway, uh, you know, I think it's a good idea to, it, 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 it seems reasonable to me to have to have people wear a mask in that sort of circumstance. It is certainly important to have healthcare workers wear protective gear because we need to keep them, uh, you know, uh, uninfected because they have to work. But the idea that a mask helps block incoming infection, I think that's uh, that's sketchier than the idea of blocking outgoing infection. When we do procedures in a sterile environment as a doctor or in an OR, in an operating room, uh, we wear a mask. We don't wear a mask to stop incoming infection. We wear a mask to stop outgoing infection into a sterile environment. All right, Aaron, let's skip Bill's question because I think Dr. Atlas has kind of already answered it a couple of uh, with a couple of previous questions. Let's go to Tamalia Bench's uh, question next. What do the rapid mutations of the virus tell us about its origins, and could that be why the models were wrong? Okay, that's a good question. Uh, sort of a basic science question. Um, there's a lot of you know. 
there's a lot of reasons why the models changed. And models, uh, I'm going to the general question of the model. Models are hypothetical projections. And earlier the model, the less data that informs the model, meaning more assumptions are made with less known facts. And therefore, models are just simply what they are. So to say the models are wrong, uh, it shouldn't surprise anyone because all, all projections that are very early are based on very, very incomplete data. Now, the mutation question is, is sort of a very interesting and good question, and, and it's potentially very important. Uh, some viruses mutate more frequently and quicker than other viruses. Uh, there are hypothetical as well as some basic science papers out, including things I've been sent by scientists from all over the world that talk about different strains of the virus, different strains uh, potentially that have been in the U.S. versus Europe, different parts of the U.S. possibly. I'm not a virologist. Uh, I don't, I don't want to really make a – I, I want to sort of stay in my lane as much as possible here. But I will say that uh, there are potential issues with viruses that, that mutate. Uh, I think that the main reasons why models have been shown to be uh, either wrong or changing is because we know much more about actual data than we did beforehand. It's not a criticism of the models per se. Another, another question about the virus um, from Vicki McNeely. Does the way these SARS viruses mutate make it harder to come up with a vaccine? How long do you really believe it will be before a vaccine is safe for human consumption? Steve says, based on his research, that I would be the Steve that she's talking about. Uh, he's not all that optimistic. We'll see one soon, given they never found one for the first SARS virus. How would you respond to that, Dr. Atlas? Yeah, I th I'm actually uh, cautiously optimistic on the idea of getting a virus uh, for the uh, a vaccine for this. Excuse me. And, and, I, and I'll tell you why. Uh, first of all, we have the world's best scientists and uh, startup companies and academicians involved in this with a very, very advanced technology. Uh, the technology to develop a vaccine is very different from 20 years ago. It's far more molecular based, uh, if you will. And uh, the second reason I'm very optimistic is because the people who are developing the vaccines themselves are extremely optimistic. And I'm pointing, if you want to read about the couple of vaccines being done, uh, being worked on, one is uh, out of Oxford University in the UK, uh, and another uh, prominent uh, vaccine that people talk about is being done in the, in the US, but there are several being worked on. I think there's a, a, a reason to be optimistic that a vaccine will be developed there's a reason to be optimistic that it will be developed quicker than previous vaccine work because the technology is very different. What do I mean by quicker? Well, I don't, I don't think people are saying weeks, but I do think people are saying, uh, you know, uh, roughly on the order of uh, nine to 15 months, I think is a reasonable estimate. Uh, and, I, and I would give the caveat about vaccines, though, and it sort of relates to the mutation thing. When you look at the flu vaccine that we all should be getting, everyone, not just vulnerable people, when we look at the flu vaccine, uh, which has been worked on, of course, for many, many years, and we're used to getting a flu shot, you look at the flu vaccine's efficacy, okay? You look at the CDC website, if you want to find and read about this, 
A flu vaccine is roughly 50% effective. Okay, so that means the idea that there is some sort of magic wand that will eradicate the susceptibility to being infected by virtue of of a vaccine. 100%, wow, we have a vaccine, game over, we're done. Uh, You know, that that does happen in some uh, contagions where you get a vaccine as a child and then you're done. Uh, But that's not always the way it works. And so uh, that's another caution about somehow saying, oh, wait, you know, let's just wait and we'll have a vaccine and then the whole population is protected. You know, I think that's that's a little bit less likely than people are giving uh, giving that statement. uh, Scott, Scott, we only have about 90 seconds. And I know you've got to go here at the bottom of the hour. Just can you give me a 30 second answer for Victoria Gola about children returning to school in the fall? Yeah, I think schools should be reopened. I think they should be I think they should be reopened now. Uh, And I wrote about this if you want to read something about that in the New York Post today. Uh, But, you know, when you have the data of very low, low risk, extremely low of a serious illness or hospitalization and even lower for death in zero to 18 year old people, and you can protect the elderly people that take care of them, giving that assumption, Mm -hmm. uh, you realize you got to open the schools. And when you open the schools, their parents, who are generally younger, working age people, can go back to work. If you don't open the schools, the parents can't go back to work. It's sort of common sense. Thank you. I, I see no reason to keep schools closed. Scott Atlas, thank you for joining us today, brother. Take care. All right, appreciate your work. Thanks for being with us. You know, it would have been impossible even just uh, as recent as a month or two ago to imagine a scenario in which the SAT and ACT would actually cancel all their tests for the spring. And under different conditions and circumstances, this would be a dream come true for somebody like the classic learning test that's trying to now compete in that space as a viable option, but nobody wants their big break to come as a result of a pandemic. So here's what they're doing over at uh, the classic learning test. They were already getting to work on a pilot program uh, for uh, to utilize remote proctoring for standardized testing for students living in like extremely rural areas, et cetera. Well, they've decided to go ahead and uh, accelerate their timetable and make it available to all students uh, across the country given the current pandemic. All right. The classic learning test has been used by tens of thousands of students and hundreds of colleges to provide the most accurate and rigorous measure of academic formation, accomplishment, and potential because better tests create better students. So if you want to register for the June 20th on official college entrance exam or the other upcoming tests, Visit cltexam.com for the June 20th official college entrance exam or other upcoming tests. Go to cltexam.com, cltexam.com, and these exams can be taken from the comfort of your own home at cltexam.com. All right, let's get some feedback on the conversation we just had with Dr. Scott Atlas from Stanford University, MD, who agreed to return as a senior fellow 
uh, and, answer, and, and answer some of the questions that we've been posing here on this show for the past couple of months. Before I get to any specifics that stood out to me whatsoever, I want to give each of you an opportunity to, to just kind of share off, off the top of your heads what stood out the most to you. Todd, I'll start with you. Well, listen, he wrote a very pointed column that got our attention. But once you had him on and listened to him twice, he he's not some knee jerk reactionary. He's he well, sounds like a doctor. He, yeah, he's not. He's yeah. careful. He doesn't. He, as he said, "I want to stay in my lane." But when when he gets the most strident, he's talking about things that aren't radical. He says the things we've known for a very long time that we seem to not care about, know about. He doesn't really say why this is happening, but it's remarkable. And you have to connect a couple dots. That It's the totality of it that's remarkable to me. When he says, in his words, it's, as I've been telling you this for six, it's fantastic that this is the virus that we got in, if we're going to get a pandemic because of how it affects most people. You won the lottery when you got that thing. No one's really embrace that on any it's seeming the medical level certainly not the media the politicians it could have been far far worse well why well when he talks about vaccines you know what i think about vaccines he's obviously not against vaccines he's quite optimistic more optimistic than steve that one can be de developed early on but he compares but he offered a specific reason that is beyond my yes, expertise correct. his knowledge of molecular level vaccination sure. that's beyond my area of expertise so i would absolutely defer to him on that by, and by the way, there's a story out today. I should add to this too. India, which last, which just a, a few days ago was telling us this thing's mutated like 32 times. Uh, they now are out today saying that they do think it'll, that with, it's just a matter of weeks now before they will have a vaccine uh, ready for human trial. So but, that goes along with what he was talking about. And to about. his point, what kind of vaccine? He compares it most readily to the likelihood of being like the flu vaccine, which mm -hmm. is at best 50% effective. So he said, while not unimportant, he said, and he again called, he he used something along the lines, like magical thinking about That's vaccines. That's what's interesting. He's more optimistic about a vaccine for the SARS Correct. virus than I am. He's he's less optimistic about the flu virus than I am. He's, when he talks about it failing 50% of the time, the studies that I had cited said it, it usually is around 30%. So he was less optimistic about the flu vaccine. But so yeah. These two things are intimately connected to me because so many people clearly have magical thinking. That's his words, not mine, about what they think about vaccines. That's exactly why they didn't have eyes to see or ears to hear about the basics that we've known about far longer than vaccines. And we need to get past that because the, 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 we're, whether we have spikes here in the near future or the next SARS 10 years from now, whatever happens, we got this one done desperately wrong at multiple levels of the community here's where even if a, a, a flu level of failure sars-2 coronavirus vaccine could be an overall benefit is if if you if if we if we stipulate that fear is the number one toxin driving people right now okay um this is almost like a placebo in a control group. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, get to give people the confidence that something that it's that if, if and if, if it does that, then maybe that's its ultimate greatest benefit. If we're talking about a flu level vaccine. All right, we'll have more specifics here in a moment on what you just said. But Aaron, I want to give you your take. Go ahead. Well, this is kind of hard because I had basically the same, the same uh, takeaway. I, I, 
I don't, again, I keep going back, I keep harping on this today. Basically, all the burning questions we've either had answered by people like Dr. Atlas, or we have plausible theories that are rooted in in data and historical data about viruses that kind of answer all the big and burning questions, with maybe the exception of of the origin of of when the of when the curve began. That one still hasn't gotten a a, a a perfect answer, but we know based on that autopsy out of Santa Clara County last week that it was at least at least or at the very latest mid January, mid to late January when the virus came to the shores. Other than that, all the other questions about this virus uh, have been answered or at least have plausible theories backed in data. So what it becomes then is the public policy, and this is what we've been talking about for weeks, even before we had some of these questions Mm -hmm. answered. Uh, The the cure can't be worse than the disease itself. Okay, So that's where this comes in. And, And Dr. Atlas, again... Okay, his specialty is actually the public policy based on uh, public policy of of healthcare. That's basically his se- his specialty at the Hoover Institution, and he's saying kids should be back in school now. They should be back in back in school right now. Not to mention later on uh, next fall. Right, right. The amount of damage that this <clears throat> is not only inflicting upon the parents who have lost a job, but upon the kids of being basically locked or told that they need to stay in their houses. I mean, this is again the 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 rabbit hole of the problems, the unintended consequences hmm. of the lockdown policies. We are not going to be able to even begin to fathom them in a month, in two months. These are things that are going to have lasting impacts, and I mean like lifelong impacts in some cases. When you look at the rising rates of domestic violence uh, and and things of that nature. So again, sixty-three percent increase this, in auto thefts in New York City yeah, so far this year. Yeah, I yeah, just saw that. And and so this is all this is to say, the sooner, the sooner that we understand and have to fight back and take an aggressive approach to opening up the country again, the better. It's still not going to fix everything that we've wronged so far, but the sooner we can do that, the better. Uh, we were kind of talking about earlier, one more thing real quick, sure. what we were kind of talking about earlier. Uh, well, it's good that the President Trump's not going to have a press conference this afternoon, the, the Coronavirus Task Force press conference. Don't come back until we have something about reopening the country. Well, they're going to do it again because they have more testing guidelines. I just, I'm at my wits end. I don't, I, who who cares? Because the game is being played. We need more testing. We've seen this in our own home state. We need more testing. We need more testing. We got more testing. Guess what we got more of as well when you get more testing? Positive results. That's the whole game here. That's that's all it is. Now, they're saying that the president's going to speak tonight about further testing guidelines for reopening. So they're, that's, what the, that's what they're saying is the, is the, is the reason for... Um, going back on saying they weren't going to have one and now that they are. Mm. Yeah. He usually keeps his press conferences very narrow and tailored and on point. Yeah. We, we're, we're used to that. Um, here's a couple of things that stood out to me. This is now the second expert or group of experts that I have attempted to run my theory past that have not shot it shot it down as just blatantly ridiculous 
there's two reasons why I, well, there's three reasons why I have pursued this theory. Number one, as I've already talked to you about, that I think when you're dealing with a matter of, of preeminence like this with life and death, it's not just enough to be a contrarian, but because you don't, you don't, just because people don't have good answers to your questions doesn't mean there aren't good answers. It could very well be that it's so early in the crisis, they haven't discovered them yet. And what's at stake is more important than finding those answers in the immediate. Right. Okay. And so it, if I go out there and, and, and very effective debunking this, but it turns out later on, like, let's say we had gotten the data. It turned out it was worse than we thought. Well, see, I actually do think it's worse than we think. That's the, that's kind of the, the, the twist here more, with me. More widespread. But, but yeah, but, yeah. The, but even the, let's say the apocalyptic, apocalyptic models were actually off the wrong way or the wrong way. Then if I went out there and did a really effective job with debunking questions that didn't have answers to yet, I might've encouraged somebody to do something that endangered their life. And I don't want to do that. So I thought with this, it was important for me to have some form of counter plausible theory that stood up to scrutiny on at least a basic level before scrutinizing the conventional wisdom. Second is because I think it is vitally important for the knowing of continuing these shelters and places if they ever worked in the first place, right? The question you've heard me pose before, how do you flatten a curve if you don't know when it began, right? There's a third reason why that I haven't told you before. And I've been waiting to tell you based on what he was going to say. But it goes back to what I just said about vaccinations. In lieu of, of people believing a vaccine, they, they treat it even if it has the efficacy of the flu vaccine. And as he said, can fail up to 50% of the time any given season. Just the, the placebo effect of that to the giant control group known as the United States of America has a certain potent uh, quality beyond its efficacy, right? Just from a mental language standpoint, just the, the feeling like it's safe for me to go out because I stopped at my local drugstore and got the coronavirus flu vaccine or something, right? Yeah. Okay. Similarly, in lieu of that, what could be another way of providing that same level of comfort to the American people? If we could, if we had the knowledge to confirm, the only other way I can think of is if we had the the data to confirm that that we'd actually been fighting through this and wrestling with it far longer than than when we hit the panic button and we were able to manage society even with the the people that died of it you know their loved ones miss them every bit as much before January before the middle of March as the people that have died with it since but but that's a separate question to the holistic systemic governing of a nation of this magnitude. And if indeed it can be documented that it is that we were wrestling with this the entire time and just didn't know it, whereas the president says the invisible enemy, that it literally it was it was literally invisible all flu season long, then people might say, oh. So from that perspective, then it is like the flu. Its infection rate might be not as bad. Its lethality rate might be a little worse. But mentally, for the psychosis of the country, it really is just like the flu, that we can essentially just carry on, especially now that the warmer weather is here. We're going to be outdoors far more often. Most of us don't live in a densely populated New York or San Francisco. Most of us don't have the millions, of the numbers he cited of, of mass transit there every day in New York City, okay? Okay. Most of us don't live in an environment like that. 
where that level of close quarter spread is just not even on the table. Okay. Even if you're sitting in a movie theater and it's sold out for the first, the first Friday of a Marvel movie, unless you're probably in a handful of cities in America, are you in a position where you are literally, you know, uh, from a air ex- air ex- extension making out with somebody that's that, that that's that close to you and he said anyway that hand uh, transmission was the far bigger threat from the data that he had looked at as it is so that's the other reason why i think the origin date the arrival date of the virus is key the third reason is is just for the psychosis of people to know that they were wrestling with this and living with this all most of the winter long if we can document that well, that psychosis is important in so many threads of this story. And the last one, you and I talked about a little off air last week at some point, but the last point he made about schools, mm-hmm. I've got some concerns about how teachers unions may have been involved in that, but th- that's more guesses based on what I know about teachers unions in general. But also, there's no science. There never has been about closing down the schools. So how much of that had to do with the psychology of you? If you keep the, if you let the kids go to schools, then the parents will say, I've got to go to yeah, work. Adults yeah. are going to sit around. Why am I sitting here yeah. then? If my kids can be brave enough to do this so they almost it was a psychological experiment that's why the schools were kept shut down i think there's a lot of truth to that i also think you have um very left-wing teacher unions that would love to do that are very politicized that would love to do national protests in a presidential election year president trump hates kids wants us hates teachers wants us dead you know would love to be protesting your local red republican governor i think that's absolutely a factor too I wouldn't now, which one is how much of a factor? I don't know, but I, I definitely think it is one, but I think I do agree that the overwhelming factor is the, again, the psychology at play here. One way to keep the parents at home is to think, well, I can't leave anyway, because the kids are all here and who's going to watch them all day long. Mm-hmm. Right. That's another way of doing that. Um, and then I think the other thing that stood out to me was how adamant he was about the risk of spread in the vast majority of social settings, the vast majority of America will encounter, even at a ball game outdoors or at the movies, like I just said, the vast majority of Americans, based on what he just said they knew about transmission, just on a regular basis, don't exist in settings where that level of exposure is just that much, um, uh, is just that prevalent in their daily lives. Most of America doesn't live like that. And when they do get it, again, his word was, you're probably not going to get it. Oh, and when you do, it's, quote, fantastic, because that's the way we beat this thing. His words, not ours. One other thing, too. It appears we're gonna, we're trying to retcon the herd immunity word. Did you pick up on this? Yeah. Because of the way that that got dissed by the uh, scientists and panic porn people right from the very beginning. Oh, and so now it's popula- what is it? Uh, um, population immunity. That's what he said, right? I kind of wish they would have gone with community immunity because it's got a kind of nice ring. You can dance to it. All right. But it appears population immunity is the new herd immunity. Did you guys pick up on that yeah, little well, uh, messaging uh, uh, reboot? Welcome on that? to my world for the last 17 years of yeah, setting this. I, yes. I think that's, I, I could be wrong, but I think population immunity is the new herd immunity. Right. So fascinating conversation with Dr. Atlas. I hope it was enjoyable for all of you. We're going to stick around and do some overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers at blazetv.com slash dace. For the rest of you, we will see you tomorrow. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.